We're in uh, Romans chapter 13, and we're going to talk about paying our taxes. No, it's not April, but still. No, I know. But it's there, you know, so we got to go through it verse by verse. That's what we, our claim is here. So I tried to wiggle myself out of this, but it's, it's Scripture, and it's important that we uh, address this. But uh, we're in our little series here, The Church and the State, and um, Paul begins in chapter 13 dealing with the idea that as Christians, even though we're not of this world, that we're children of the kingdom of God, and uh, Christ himself said his kingdom is not of this world. Uh, And so we understand that. We're just passing through here. But on the other hand, we are called to be in submission to the governing authorities. It tells us right there in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God for those that exist have been instituted by God and so as messed up as our government is sometimes we don't like to pay our taxes we're called to pay our taxes and we're also called to do it with a right spirit a good attitude Um, no one likes to pay taxes anybody here like to pay taxes I don't think so I mean you know, if you do, I'll, we'll, we'll hook you up with some counseling afterwards, you know. But it's part of our life, right? It's part of our life. Uh, it's, you know, for better or worse, uh, we need to um, understand that. And not only that, but the Bible says that we should not only do this because we're obligated to do it. We're in subjection to the authorities over us. But also we should do it with a charitable heart. That means kind of a smile on your face, which is really frustrating when you stop and think about it. Um, and so Paul is telling us here that we have this, this responsibility in this relationship with the governing authorities over us. And we're to pay our taxes and in every other way rightly honor those who serve in government over us, even tax collectors and uh, the Bible has a lot to say about tax collectors, and a lot of it's not good. <laughs> so uh, when we analyze what this means, we find here that in our text this morning, in Romans chapter 13, verses 6 and 7, which I'll read in just a second, we see first two parts. We first see part of the first part here in verse 6. He says, you know what? We need to pay our taxes. We need to pay the government its due portion. And then the second part is while we're doing that, we need to show it, show, do, it, do so in a respectful way. We need to show respect and honor to those who deserve respect and who should be shown honor. And so when you look at Romans chapter 13, read along with me. I'll read it for you, beginning in verse 6. It says, therefore, this, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. And so this is a hard thing to do for any of us. We know that. Uh, I read a little story this past week of the, the French philosopher Voltaire. And he was having dinner with two of his buddies, and they got kind of bored, and they were kind of sitting there over dessert. And he came up with this idea, let's all tell an improvised story, but it has to involve thieves. So his two friends went first, and the first guy told this very colorful story. They were just cracking up, a lot of humor in it and things. And the second guy went ahead and told his story. It was equally funny, and boy, he thought it was really great, and and came to Voltaire's turn, and they looked at him, and he said, well, gentlemen, there once was a tax collector. He says, good Lord, I've forgotten the rest of the story. (laughs) And, you know, they all cracked up. You know, while it's appropriate for us as Christians to, the government gives us certain advantages, certain um, deductions, we know about this, um, at least you should know about it, and other benefits that the law provides. There's no, no problem using that. But no citizen, especially a Christian, I would say, is justified in circumventing payment of taxes in an illegal way. 
If they give you a loophole, hey, use it. That's, that's my thing. But we can't do it in an illegal or an unethical way. And our tax system is such that, you know what, sometimes it's hard to tell what's what. And that's why you should have a good tax person doing your taxes for you. Um, if there's any complications in there at all, let their head be on the block, not yours. Ultimately, it comes back to you anyway. But still, the government tells us that tax fraud is probably one of the most widespread crimes in our country. Um, billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars go in this gap between what should be paid and what is actually paid. And I'm not talking about legal loopholes. I'm talking about people illegally not paying their taxes. And so you stop and you say, well, what do these taxes go for? Well, they go to support the government. And you say, well, that's the last thing I want to do. Well, you have to stop and you have to think about what the government does do for us. And this is what Paul is is telling us here in this, in this text. He, he joins with Jesus himself and saying, you know, there's, this is one important responsibility for a, a Christian. Rend to Caesar those things that are Caesar's. It's, it's important for a Christian to support the government by paying their taxes. Um, the reason, of course, is that the government is expensive. And most of us would say it's too expensive. That's why I don't want to pay it. Um, and we benefit in countless ways, when you stop and think about it, uh, by our government and governing authorities. Ray Stedman, who pastored uh, Peninsula Bible Church for years, when he first moved here and started this church, he didn't have a lot of money, so he never had to pay any taxes. And the story says that eventually he was making a pretty good income and he had to start paying taxes. And he just got frustrated with the whole process. He said, this, you know, I I never had to pay taxes before. I don't understand why they're just going to waste it anyway. And so just to carry out his frustration, he would always label his tax return with a different title. The first one was the Infernal Revenue Service. (laughs) And he's thinking, well, at least I sent it. Maybe they'll never get it. Well, they got it and they cashed a check. And he said the second year, he addressed it to the Eternal Revenue Service. It didn't matter. They still got the money. And he said after a while he gave up and he settled to some, he says, the same resigned attitude that most of us have in paying our taxes in that time of the year. James Boyce says that resignation is not the right attitude when it comes to paying our taxes. That's not the right attitude. Rather, when we pay for our federal our federal taxes, at least, we should be thankful. We should be thankful for the armed services that it helps to support. We should be thankful for the peace and the, the national security that we enjoy. Um, taxes support the court systems, numerous federal agencies that we benefit from. Some of you go to the national parks. Well, guess what? Your tax dollars goes toward that. Federal drug enforcement agencies, food inspectors, um, the FAA, the FDA, all those things, the FBI, um, air traffic controllers. There's, a, there's a, a, a load of things that the government supports. And when we pay our state taxes, we should be thankful for, it's hard here in California, I understand, but it funds universities. It funds some of our city services that we, we recognize. Um, it, it's supposed to go toward the maintenance of our highways. By the way, we got a we got a new tax coming up, so we should be we should be looking forward to you know really smooth freeways and highways because you know our governor is going to take care of all that with twelve cents a gallon gas starting in November, in addition to the tax we already pay. So I'm just I can't wait for those those potholes to be gone. I just you know don't hold your breath. By the way. But all those things go to that. And even our city taxes, you know, property taxes, things like that. It helps to fund schools, uh, garbage collection, firefighters, police, all those things. I mean, we may complain about our taxes, but when you stop and you think of a world without the government, it's kind of scary. I mean, it would be mayhem. And I realize today we live in mayhem anyway in some cities. It's just kind of crazy because the government's not doing their job. But on the other hand, you have to stop and think, you know what? We would be in jeopardy every moment of every day if we didn't have these civil servants that are there to help us and protect us and things like that. And so we come to this, this text today in verses 6 and 7, and we realize that you know, there's, there's, a, there's a principle here, um, but there's also an idea here of responsible taxation. And this is all introduction kind of, you know, the the government does have a responsibility to spend our tax dollars wisely. 
right? I mean, they, they have that, I'm not saying they're doing it. I'd say they have a responsibility to do it. And they're supposed to do it for the betterment of everybody, not just line their own pockets. And we've seen where on occasion that has happened to people and they've been brought up on charges and, you know, because they're not there to just fill their pockets with our cash, even though that happens. And um, we have to stop and we have to go back and we have to realize that, you know what, the state's authority and the power that they possess are from God. God has granted this authority to them. And we need to respect that as Christians. Um, And you know what? Ultimately, they're responsible to God for what they do with that power that has been entrusted to them by God himself. And that is definitely true in the area of taxation. Um, I would say this, just, you know, there are also, you know, two things basically called to do. They're called to do with our tax money. They're called to use our tax money responsibly. And, you know, you, you always hear these stories of the federal government and how, you know, they're studying how long a hamster can run on a treadmill or some crazy thing, you know. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars go to these studies. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. And so they're not really living up to their end of the bargain, I would say. But on the other hand, it's clear from what Paul says here in these verses that these people, these authorities are servants of God. That's what he says right there in the text. And he's saying that these governing, governing authorities are to use our taxes to serve the people and not just enrich themselves. John Calvin, in his commentary on Romans, he wrote this. He says, Paul takes the opportunity of mentioning tributes, and he bases this, his reason for paying taxes on the office of the magistrates. If it is their responsibility to defend and preserve the uninjured and the peace of the upright and to resist the impious attempts of the wicked. They cannot do this unless they are assisted by force and strong protection. Tributes, therefore, are paid by law to support such necessities. It is right, however, that they should remember that all that they receive from the people is public property and not a means of satisfying private lust and luxury. Um, And we see the abuses, even in our own government, of this nature of these highly elected officials in our country because they're, they're presidents, senators, congress, or whatever. Congressmen, they, they live under intense scrutiny for everything they do, but unfortunately that doesn't even restrain them sometimes. I remember when I was living in Southern California, I had a, a job in between churches, and I was driving a limo, and I would drive this limousine from Palm Springs to, to John Wayne Airport, LAX, Orange County, all these different different airports and then come back to Palm Springs. And one evening late, um, I got a request for a sedan at LAX. Um, and the owner of the company wouldn't allow me to take a sedan because he had nine people going to LAX. So he said, no, take the stretch limo. And I said, well, you know, I, this is Bono, Congressman Bono. I don't think he wants to be seen in a limo. <laughs> and the owner didn't care. He said, oh, we got to get these nine people to LAX, take the limo. So there I was at LAX waiting for Congressman Bono and his entourage, Sonny Bono. And he came out and he says, oh, do you have the car? And I said, yeah, it's, it's out here. And I said, hey, I apologize in advance. And, and his plane was late. So it was about two in the morning. Okay, so there's nobody really around to see anything. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, well, I had to bring a stretch limo because the owner, you know, made me do it because I had to bring nine people. And he goes, well, you know, as congressman, we don't like to be seen getting into stretch limos. And I said, I understand, but, you know, let's have yeah, fine. You know, here I had prayed and I thought, well, I'm going to have this wonderful witnessing opportunity with Sonny Bono, you know, of all people. And uh, got him to the car, got his bags in, and he got in the back seat. And I had the little divider down, you know, and he put it right up, you know, oh, man. And uh, then I proceeded to get lost downtown LAX. This is before GPS. And I uh, got my Thomas brothers out, and they had construction going. I'm driving around with this congressman in the backseat. I have no idea where I'm going. I'm going in circles around LAX. Finally, he puts the window down. Are we okay up there? Said, yeah, they got some construction going on. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get through this. It's going to take a little longer than normal, you know. And uh, I'll never forget, I took Highway 60 back to Palm Springs as it was a little quicker. And if you know anything about that road, it's kind of windy. And I'd been driving all day, and I was kind of tired. And I remember driving over the hill there back to Palm Springs. And, you know, I was doing one of these things, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, man, the headlines, you know. Uh, congressman dies because the limo drivers drove too much, lack of sleep or whatever. Um, but, it, you know, they don't like to be seen 
getting into, you know, limousines and all that kind of stuff. They, they want to keep it kind of on the, uh, you know, on the quiet if they do do that kind of stuff. Because the abuses in government are just too flagrant to ignore. We see them all over the place. Um, and even though that abuse is there, and we see all the, the, the government agencies who just, you know, hire a lot more people to do a job than it's needed, um, you know, and these bloated budgets, all this stuff is going on. Even though that's true, and even though our country, unfortunately, is on the verge of being $20 trillion in debt. I mean, somebody's not being responsible with the tax dollars that we give them. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't give it to them. So we we have to be responsible with that. And then I think the second second responsibility of government is not only to pay our tax money to use it responsibly, but it's also not to overtax us to the point where we can't even function. You know, sometimes, uh, even back then, we're going to review some of the taxes that they went through. And, you know, how much tax is too much tax? You see politicians interviewed on TV all the time. You know, well, how much do you want to tax the wealthy? Is 50% enough? 80%? 90%? And they never give you a number. Because they know that... <laughs> You know, it's kind of hard to do that. Um, And so we have to be aware of that. It's kind of like asking the question, well, when is long too long or when is short too short? Nobody really has the answer for these things. And so we're trusting in God to direct their hearts, to tax us responsibly, and to use that money in a way that is for the betterment of our complete society. but greater taxation is required in times of war, things like that. I mean, we, you know, you've seen that through the different wars that our country's been through. They, they had to increase taxes at certain times. But in times of plenty, they should also reverse that and put money back into our pockets. And so, you know, not that that's really going to happen, but hopefully it will. We don't know. But I say all that to just say that, you know what, we think that somehow we have it bad today. And I want to go over some taxes that were existed uh, in, in the day of Paul and Jesus. And they're there on your outline. Um, the first one basically is these are four direct taxes that was levied on the nation of Israel. In this word, taxes, for because of this you also pay taxes, it's a common used word for taxes paid by individuals especially those paid by citizens um, of, a, of a nation to their ruler, things like that. Um, but it, Paul also obviously includes a combination of income and property taxes here. There's all kind of things that he's, he's kind of looking at this in a general way. In the book of Nehemiah, it tells us that when they were rebuilding Jerusalem under the, the uh, leadership of Nehemiah, the people complained bitterly about the heavy taxation by Persia. And by whose permission the temple and the city walls were being restored, it says, we have borrowed, in in Nehemiah 5.4, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And even their own kings sometimes overtaxed them. And so this was a very common thing that happened throughout history. And, um, you know, sometimes the tax... Collectors were wealthy. They were making themselves wealthy, overtaxing people. And it was not a a reputable uh, profession to be involved in for the most part. Um, As a matter of fact, you read of the one tax collector in the New Testament who was willing to pay back four times what he had taken. So you can only imagine how much he, he, he put in the coffers when he was a tax collector. So we come to these direct taxes that they were um, levied. And these were taxes that God established for the nation of Israel. So these are things that God actually put in place. He instituted this whole idea. And the first one here we see is this, we'll call it the the, the Levite's tithe or the Levite's tax. It equaled to uh, 10% and it paid to support Israel's nation, their government, their governing authority. And so a lot of times today we hear people, oh, well, are you going to give a tithe? And some people say, well, what, how do you people view tithing in your church? And um, when you go through the membership class, we, we discuss this with you. But we believe the New Testament doesn't necessarily require you to give a tithe. 
as it did under the nation of Israel. We believe that the New Testament teaches, Paul teaches in several places, that you know what you should give, first of all, with a joyful heart, and give as the Lord leads you. There's no 10% rule for New Testament Christians. I mean, if you want to use that, that's fine. Um, But we're going to find out that for the the folks in, in Israel, it was a lot more than 10%. See, I think we use that false 10% tithe thing just to kind of ease our conscience. But we're going to see here that they were, they were up in the 20s as far as the percent that they gave toward the work of God. And this first tax was a Levite tax. It tells us in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, and of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. And this tithe was devoted entirely to the support of the priestly tribe of Levi. And the reason they had to do that was because if you were a priest and you were of the tribe of Levi, you were given no land and you had no means of self-support. You weren't allowed to. And so they had to support them somehow. And so they levied this Levite's tithe. And so in addition to being the spiritual leaders of Israel, the priests, in particular the, the chief priests and the high priests, by the way, were also the national civil leaders for the country. And so the tithe was used to support this theocratic government. Now, we don't have a theocratic, theocratic government today, but they did back then. And so the first tithe here was one-tenth of their income, and it was a Levite's tithe. The second one was called the festival tithe. Sounds kind of festive, doesn't it? It was an annual tax which was used for cultivating national life. Um, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 10 to 12. It was an instituted tax by God himself, and it was called the festival tithe. It was used for things like sacrifices. It was used to support the tabernacle on the maintenance of the, uh, the temple, for cultivating uh, social, cultural life, for fostering national unity. Um, it was, remember in, in Malachi in Malachi chapter 3, we read this, Will a man rob God? Will not rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. And then he gave the well-known promise in chapter 3 verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up to you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Why did he write that? Because they were overlooking this tithe. He says, hey, you can't just you know, not do this. This is something that I've required you to do. So that was the, the second tithe that they had. They had the Levite's tithe, the festival tithe. They also had something we'll call the, the welfare tithe. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 29, and it talks about a, a tax that was... It was a tithe every three years, and it supported the welfare services of the nation of Israel. Um, it was, it was it kind of amounted to about 3.3% every year because it was only done every three years. And the proceeds in Deuteronomy 14.29, it says, were to be used to help the alien, the orphan, the widow who are in your town, who shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. And this first tithe, the first tithe paid for the government expenses, the second tithe was used to cultivate this national life within the the people itself. And then this third tithe, you can kind of look at it as almost a welfare tithe. It's just to help out the down and out people. But then they also had a tax, a temple tax. Fourthly, uh, annual half a shekel tax on everybody over the age of 21. It was used to support the temple and the tabernacle and, and all that went on there. Um, and it was required, if you were 21 years of, or older, you had to give this half a shekel tax every year as a contribution to the Lord. And these came directly from God himself. These weren't some politicians coming up with these things. This was, these were divinely imposed ties and tariffs and taxes that God imposed on the people. So these were direct taxes, but you also had other taxes that we'll call indirect taxes. And, you know, it's kind of like 
like an indirect tax for us would probably be like when you go to the grocery store, you don't know, you know, usually you're paying tax, but you're paying tax. You know, it's kind of like just always there. Uh, well, here they had what they called a gleaning tax, and these were under the Mosaic law. Um, at the end of every season, because everybody was agrarian back then, they had farms and, and, and they would grow crops, uh, they were required to leave some of their crops around the edges there unharvested. So if you grew a crop of corn, you would leave several rows unharvested. And what would happen with those, you would allow the poor people in the town to come out and actually pick their, their food out of your crops. That was required. It wasn't an option. It was kind of a forced way of, of, of making it be charitable to the down-and-outers. Um, and so the Jews were required to leave some of their crops for these unharvested, for these people who could be gleaned by the poor. They would be picked up. In Leviticus 19.10, it tells us this. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, the Lord instructs you, his people, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And so while they're harvesting the regular crops, even stuff that fell on the ground may have been perfectly fine fruit, but it was maybe burst or whatever, they couldn't pick it up and put it in the basket. They had to leave it there. And that was another kind of an indirect tax. And then the last tax that they, they had there, the sixth tax, was called a seventh-year fallow tax. And what that meant is every uh, seventh year, you had to not grow anything. You just had to leave the land be, not do anything to it. And whatever crops came up during that time in that, that field that was under this, this tax, because sometimes the crops would still come up, well, you weren't allowed to harvest them. They were there for the livestock. They were there for the poor. And so that was another form of, of tax. And so one commentator figured out that they were under the six mandatory taxes, and that equaled to about 24% of their income every year. And so, you know, when you stop and and you think about this, you know, I mean, we complain a lot today about, you know, this and that, whatever. Uh, We live in a a very blessed nation and a very blessed society, even, even with all its troubles and problems, right? I mean, we have conveniences coming out our ears and, and just all kinds of things that we're blessed with. And so we have to think of this as something that the Lord you know, blesses us with, but the reason that is is because there's a government there that's doing some of this stuff. Now, yeah, they got a lot of problems. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, I think on the other hand, when you take away the government, you're going to have a lot more problems. And so the, the tax situation in Israel was vastly different than ours, um, but the, the sentiment's the same, that when the tax collectors in, in Capernaum demanded they had a temple tax of Jesus, uh, he willingly paid it. He didn't say, well, I'm not of this world. I'm not, you know, uh, subject to your rules. No, he paid it. Um, in that instance, he provided it miraculously. Wouldn't you like to do that? You know, he had Peter cast out a line in the Sea of Galilee and caught a fish. And <clears throat> there's a, a coin worth four dra- uh, drachmas in his mouth, the exact amount needed to pay Jesus and Peter's taxes. I mean, boy, that would be great. Um, I don't think you found any coins in, in the fish up there in, uh, when you were fishing. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's important that you, know, you stop and you think of this, that, you know, this is something that we are commanded to do. Um, and this is Jesus' example for us. He goes before us on this. Um, he explained to Peter, in effect, that as the Son of God, he had no obligation to pay a tax to support God's own house in in verse uh, uh, 26 of Matthew um, 17 there, but that as the son of man, he did so in order not to give offense, right, to the civil authorities. And he also wanted to be an example. So he wasn't under the rule to do it, but he did it laying us an example. His actions on that occasion um, were very uh, uh, gracious, and he wanted to lay down a good example for his followers. And so, you know, these were people that he was paying taxes to were people that would later put him to death. So, I mean, you know, the money went into the, the temple of the, of the treasury of the temple. And we all know by reading history that this, this treasury became corrupt. 
And he had already gone through once and cleansed it. Remember, he threw out all the money changers and the sacrifice sellers. They were, they were abusing their authority, and they were selling things to people that they didn't even really need. You had people bringing sacrifices to the temple that were totally fine, and what these guys would do is they'd meet them at the door and say, oh, you know what, there's a blemish on this one. Sorry, you've got to buy one of ours. And so this poor family would, and by the way, we're seizing this one. <laughs> and so they would take this and they would recycle them. They would sell the same things they're, they're seizing to other people. And so there was a very corrupt system set up. And knowing all that, Jesus paid his tax without hesitation, without reservation. Because the temple was the house of God. And because he was the son of God, he was under no obligation to do so, but he did it. And he did that for for our benefit. Um, now, when you, you stop and you think about <clears throat> our relationship with God, that's why we say Christians are under no obligation to give a specific amount to the work of their Heavenly Father. That's between you and the Lord. You'll never hear us as a church say, oh, you have to give 10% or you have to give this or you have to give that. We encourage you to give to certain projects, things like that. And as the Lord leads you, um, we pray that you do that. But on the other hand, we don't demand it. Because we would rather, you know, if you can't give it with a joyful heart and, and in a way that's it's freeing you and, and really you're, you're blessing uh, other people through the ministry and things like that, then we'd probably rather you not do it at all. Um, because that's not going to help you out in any way. And so it's important that we're, we understand that we're not under obligation to give a specified amount. We are commanded to give to the work of the Lord, but there's no special amount. And so it has the idea of priorities. Where is your heart? Uh, is your heart tied up with things here? Or is it focused on things in eternity? And, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, he says, On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. And then in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, Let each of you do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we don't give to God in order to get something back. You hear this as part of the Word of Faith movement, right? Well, you've got to sow your seed. If you sow your seed, then we'll guarantee you God will give it back. Well, my question to these people that teach this is, why aren't you sowing your own seed? You know, why, why are you always asking me to sow my seed? You know, this has never made any sense. Their whole, their whole thinking process, it doesn't add up. And so when you stop and you think about it, you can see where the charlatans lie. And you remember in the, the, uh, uh, the week after when Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem, um, the Pharisees were really focused on convicting him of a capital offense. They wanted to catch him in something. And it tells us in Matthew that they counseled together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him. See, they had disciples too. Along with the Herodians. And in, in Matthew 22, it tells us a little bit about their conversation. In verse 15, this group addressed Jesus um, with almost flattery. They say, teacher, and it's kind of like, you know, they weren't calling him teacher out of respect. They were, they were using it as a, as a way of a derogatory manner of addressing him. We know that you are truthful and that you teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one. For you are not partial to any. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? And see, they're thinking, ha-ha, we, we, we got him. If, you know, because the, the Pharisees were, you know, very nationalistic people. They hated the Romans. They hated being ruled by anybody. And they knew that you know, that they're bringing a charge of treason against Jesus would not likely be taken seriously by the Roman authorities. So they had to figure out a way that, to come up with something. It was, it was doubtless for that reason that they became co-conspirators against Jesus with the Herodians. Usually they wouldn't have anything to do with them. They didn't like the Herodians. Um, but because the Herodians were not pro-Roman either, they kind of joined arms together. Um, the Herodians supported Herod. Um, and so the Pharisees, 
believed that a, a charge of treason brought by the Herodians would almost certainly result in Jesus' conviction and execution. But look at how Jesus responds. Jesus perceived their malice. He, received what, he perceived what was going on in their heart. Uh, Do you ever think about that, that Jesus knows exactly what's going on in your heart at any time of the day or night? He knows whether you're asking a question out of sincerity or you're asking a question out of trying to trap somebody or manipulate somebody. Um, He says, why are you, Jesus responds, he says, why are you testing me? He knew they were testing him. You hypocrites, show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a, a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said these famous words, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and Caesar's and, the, and to God the things that are God. That's in Matthew twenty-two eighteen to 21. See, Jesus knew his death was right around the corner. Even the harshest critic could not accuse him of making that reply in order to protect his own well-being. He was going to die. And so he wasn't trying to wiggle out of it, uh, wasn't trying to wiggle out of the question. He had given the same answer at the beginning or during any part of his ministry. It would have been the same exact answer. He was stating here unequivocally that paying taxes to human government is a God-ordained obligation. The facts that Rome was, was a pagan Nation didn't matter. They were often unjust. That didn't matter. Even the fact that the Caesar uh, depicted on a particular coin was Augustus, who called himself the son of God, did not change this obligation. Taxes are to be paid. And so it tells us very clearly in Scripture that this is the case. Well, what's the purpose here? We see this in, in verse 6, a little further down. It says, the rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. I don't know about you, but I don't think of senators and congressmen and presidents as servants of God. But you know what? That's what the Bible calls them. And not only that, but it tells us that he places these individuals in authority over us to carry out his purpose, his plans. Uh, boy, we need to think about that the next time we're railing on about our politicians or whatever. Um, Regardless of their political rank, their personal qualifications, or even their morality or their spirituality, officials who collect taxes, according to this verse, are servants of God, like every other civil officer. The tax collector is a minister of God for good, it says. And that's, their, that's the, the, the God-ordained uh, responsibility that they have. This word here, when he says they're servants, is not doulos, as we commonly see in the New Testament. It's a different word where we get the word liturgy from. And it's originally used of a person who served in a public office at his own expense. So it would be somebody that, you know, uh, would go to Washington and, and say, I'm going to pay my own way. I'm not going to take any tax dollars to fund anything that I do. Okay? Um, it was used of all officials, much in the same sense you think of a public servant today. Sometimes smaller towns, they'll have a city council and they serve the city and they don't get paid anything, maybe a dollar a year or something. Um, but here and elsewhere in the New Testament, this word is sometimes rendered minister. Um, that's where we, we get this, this idea of liturgy. Um, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 14, it uh, talks about angels are Christ's ministers. That's this word. It's used of Paul himself in Romans fifteen sixteen when he says he's a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Um, and it's even used of Christ in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 2, when it says he's a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. So it's doubtless because of, of the term that was used here, and it was a representative of the, the early church, that this was a religious servant, a minister of God. And it eventually became to known in our English language as that word liturgy, which describes a religious service. And so when you stop and you, you think of this, um, it, it's kind of an interesting thing that the, the, God, the Word of God calls these tax collectors, these, those in authority over us, ministers of God. 
Even in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, um, Paul is describing this, himself as this very zealous Pharisee. And um, he said that he was uh, under the Roman rule and he resented every denarius he was forced to pay for its support. He, he had an attitude about this. But now that he was submissive to Christ as his Lord, he knew that he must be submissive and that this, that this submissiveness to the institution of government was something that God ordained. Um, and so he, he realized that this authority came from God and God alone. It's kind of an important, important thing that we realize. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul prayed this, the, the, the prayer um, in, in Philippians chapter 4, guide our steps to walk in holiness and righteousness um, this was this was a prayer that was uh, prayed by Domitian, and it was a prayer that some say that he used Philippians four three as a guide for this this prayer. So the prayer says this: Guide our steps to walk in holiness and righteousness and singleness of heart, and do those things that are good and acceptable in Thy sight. And in the sight of our rulers, yes, Lord, cause thy face to shine upon us in peace for our good, that we may be sheltered by thy mighty hand and delivered from every sin of thine outstretched arm. Deliver us from those who hate us wrongfully. Give accord, concord, and peace to us and to all who dwell on earth as thou didst to our fathers when they called on thee in faith and truth with holiness, while we render obedience to thy almighty and most gracious name and to our earthly rulers and governors. And he goes on, he says, Thou, O Lord and Master, has given them the power of sovereignty through thine excellent and unspeakable might, that we, knowing the glory and honor which thou hast given them, may submit ourselves to them in nothing resisting thy will. Grant them, therefore, O Lord, health, peace, concord, and stability, that they may be without failure, that they may without failure administer the government which thou hast committed to them. For thou, O heavenly master, king of the ages, dost give to the sons of men glory and honor and power over all things that are in the earth. Do thou, O Lord, direct their counsel according to what is good and acceptable in thy sight, that they, administering in peace and gentleness with godliness, the power which thou hast committed to them may obtain thy favor. When you stop and you think of that prayer, it really does reveal kind of Paul's heart and the same idea that we should be submissive to these people, that everywhere Christians should be uh, subject to these governing authorities. Um, a lot of times you hear Christians saying, well, they're not, the government has no authority over me. You know, they protest that. If they, so they get pulled over by a police officer, they won't give them their name. They won't give them anything. They won't show them their ID. And usually they're subsequently arrested because you have to do that. Um, but some people believe that they don't have to pay taxes. They don't have to do anything because they're, they're a sovereign nation unto themselves. And there's a whole political idea and that uh, people go by and they have a paper they carry around with them and they just give the officer this paper and say, well, this is what, what I believe to be true. Um, that doesn't excuse you, okay? We're not to do that as believers. Remember, Paul constantly is, is telling us we should be at peace with all men, that we should look to, to fulfill our duties in this area as well. And so it's important as well that we remind our civil leaders, our governing authorities, that you know what? The authority that you have over us is granted to you by God. You're not your own little person out there doing whatever you want, and we have seen that on various occasions throughout even the history of our country where people have abused certain authority. And I think that God clearly has stepped in and turned the tables. And so you don't know. You, you know, it's not a Democratic or a Republican issue. It's being responsible to the office that God has placed you in. And so we need to be uh, aware of that. And so the purpose of, of paying taxes is that we support the government, that it's able to help us with various things in our lives. And uh, we should do so with the, the right attitude, not with an attitude that is not um, uh, honoring to them or disgraceful. 
And like I said, the, the tax code is such that it allows us to have certain write-offs and, and loopholes and whatever, you know, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with using those things. But just make sure that you do so in a way that is legal and it's honoring to the Lord. Um, and there's several examples in Scripture of, of people dealing with injustice uh, when their authorities were kind of running amok. And, uh, you know, we have to stop and we have to think of that. I, I think of Jehoiakim, who in Jeremiah was talking about the, the rulers over, over them. And he says in verses uh, 15 and 16 of Jeremiah 22, he says um, that these rulers are to be uh, like King Josiah, the father of Jehoiakim, who did justice and righteousness and pled the cause of the afflicted and the needy. See, the civil servants ran amok, and so he just brought that to task and, and reminded them. There's nothing wrong with encouraging our politicians to do the right thing. And God allows a venue for that because we live in a country where we can do those kind of things. Um, but it's not good enough just to say, well, I'm not going to participate, and I'm not going to do anything, and I'm not going to pay my taxes. That would be going against what Scripture tells us. Um, well, the last thing here is the particulars of paying tax. He says in verse 7, he says, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And this is kind of dials down on this because, you know, we're not just to give a blanket, hey, way to go to all of our politicians if they're not doing what God has uh, put them in place to do. If they're abusing their office, if they're doing things that are wrong, then they need to be held account for that. So I'm not saying we just lay back and, well, okay, we'll just pay all this money and let the government do whatever. No, that's why we vote. That's why we go to the, the voting booth and, and uh, hopefully change things the way that we feel that God is, is more honored uh, in the way that we would vote. So it's, it's important to realize those things. But he says here that we should render to all what is due. Um, Render to all what is due them. That word render simply has the idea of paying back something that is owed. Um, meaning that it's reinforced by the phrase, this is something that's due. This isn't a gift. You're not giving the government a gift when you write your tax um, check out every year. You're not. You're, you're, giving, you're, you're, you're following an obligated um, thing that you need to do. This isn't voluntary. Uh, it's not optional. Now, if you want to give the government more, go ahead. I, I don't think that's a wise choice because I don't think they're using our government funds wisely. You know, But we, we have this moral and spiritual responsibility to pay taxes because they know, they should know, that God requires it of us. All right? Cheating on our taxes is really against the government, but it's also against God himself. And so we want to be careful in that area. We don't want to fall into that. Um, this word tax is the same word used in verse 6. It's a combination of income and property tax. It's the same idea. Uh, yet the command is clear that we're, we're to pay these taxes to everyone whom the tax is due. Um, the two obligations mentioned in this verse are, first of all, um, that we are required. It's not really required to these paying taxes, but it's required because we have to have this kind of attitude, this Christian attitude toward public officials. And what he points out here is, first of all, he says that we're to render fear to whom fear is due, or respect to whom respect. That word simply means fear. Uh, phobos is the word. And we use it to refer to anything that's something that you're in awe of. Or it can be used even as, as something as, as abject terror. You're just terrified of something. In this context, it means to have sincere respect for civil authorities and for those who collect our taxes. Um, and that's a kind of a interesting point. You know, I think most people have a healthy respect for the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service. It collects our taxes. You know, when's the last time you got a letter from the IRS? 
wow, you get a letter from there, ah, you know, maybe whatever or something. You know, maybe they gave you, want to give you more money back. But it's more, you just see that on the label, you know, IRS, your, your heart starts beating pretty fast. And you hear all these horror stories of, of, of things going on. And they have a lot of power. And so we need to be respectful of that. And, and it, it basically means to have that sincere respect. But he also says here that we should honor refers to a high esteem, something that's genuine. It's not pretend. Okay, and this is where it gets difficult because a lot of times, even in biblical times, the tax collectors were not people that you would honor. They were being, you know, dishonest with the funds that they collected. They were, you know, lining their own pockets. They were taking advantage of people. But because of the fear factor, they were able to do that. You know, hey, you know, if you don't, you don't pay me a couple extra bucks this month, you know, I'm going to shut down your little uh, taco shop here or whatever, you know. Um, and, and they would have to, you know, they would, they would oblige, all right, because you want to be above reproach in that area. But the tax collectors knew this, so they took advantage of them. And it was unfortunate. But so we have to find a ground here where as Christians, when we pay our taxes, we're not doing it begrudgingly. We're doing it as honoring unto the Lord. But at the same time, we have to be responsible enough to realize that, you know what, we need to be involved to a certain point to where we don't just pay the tax and walk away if they're going to misuse it. You know, we have to be aware of that and we have to be willing to inform them that, hey, you know what, you collected this tax for this thing. Why aren't you using it for this thing? And so we need to be kind of on our guard that way. Um, But I think it's it's Christian people who have really uh, been sent out into this this lost and dying world. We really need to be on our best game because we want to do everything to honor and, and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. And whether that's working at at our job or whether it's paying our taxes. Or, or, you know, being a good neighbor to people, whatever it might be. Um, it, we need to have that kind of a, a moral insight of our, own, of our own doing so that we can realize that God wants us to be good witnesses. And one way we can do that is by paying our taxes and doing so not begrudgingly, but with uh, graciousness in our heart and trusting God to let the results fall where they may. So that's paying taxes. It, it's interesting because Paul kind of uses this. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at, um, he, he, he turns the table here and he starts to talk about love. And he, he uses this, verses 6 and 7, to kind of weave his way into verse 8 when he talks about, oh, no one anything except to love each other. Okay? And so we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. Well, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we know that sometimes your word is, is difficult to hear. It's difficult to apply. And yet, Lord, you've called us to do what you've called us to do, that we should pay our taxes and do so in a way that is honoring to you. And, Lord, we're thankful that we live in a country, that we have all these benefits. And, Lord, we know that there's a lot of uh, downside to paying taxes. Sometimes they don't use these funds for what they say they're going to do, and, and we we see the disarray in government today, and Lord, our heart breaks. But Lord, you know uh, that you're going to carry out your plan in spite of all this. And so, Lord, we just want to be obedient uh, and be subject to those in authority over us. And I pray that you would give us the graciousness and through your spirit, the ability to do so in a way that's honoring to you. And so, Lord, we pray today that if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to place their, uh, their own soul under your subjection, that they're um, not yet cried out to you and, and asked you for their soul to be saved, that they've repented of their sin, turned from their sin, and turned to the Savior. Lord, I pray that even this morning that you would do that work in their heart. And, Lord, we pray that you would just um, be gracious to their hearts, give them the ability to seek out your truth. And, Father, pray for our fellowship afterwards that you would bless that as well. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. Amen.